Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted I'm sorry. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road how he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kristen, for reading that. Well, over the last few months, it's been good to see many of you, especially in the last few weeks more frequently, when you come to church, but I can see it in your countenance. I can see it sometimes in and behind the Facebook posts I see. And when I talk with you on the phone or text or email, I I can tell that life is hard and that you're discouraged. If we were to go back in time, if we could, could do such a thing, And we were to go to some of the people in this passage and and pull them aside and ask them for an interview and and how is it going and how do you feel? I think, I don't think, I know many of them at many moments would say, this is very discouraging. Life is hard. We've been preaching through the book of Acts this summer and last week we learned about the conversion of Paul or Saul, and it's a wonderful conversion story of Paul. It's the story of the greatest missionary and theologian who has ever lived became a Christian last week in the passage. It's a wonderful story. In fact, it's one of the more familiar stories in the book. If a Christian in our church would say to another Christian, and just speaking of the Damascus Road, many of us at least would know that, oh yeah, we're referring to, just even as we said that little phrase, we'd know, oh yeah, that's the story about Paul who's converted on the road to Damascus. But that was last week. This passage is this week. And as you look at it, hard things are happening. Look, for example, again at verse 21 with me. We read, and all who heard him, this is Paul or Saul, I'll just keep calling him Paul throughout the rest of the 
sermon, but and all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of uh, of those who called upon his name? So it's like there's a positive, like we're amazed. But then as you look at the second question they're asking, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? So they're amazed, like, that. whoa, that was Paul who was causing on the havoc, and we still think he is. <laughs> that, that's what they're saying there. They're amazed, but they wonder if this is just another ploy to capture them and bring them bound to the chief priests. And when Paul finally does convince them that he loves Jesus and Jesus loves him, look what happens in verse 23. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. (laughs) It's a great plot twist. The, the, The persecutor of Christians becomes the preacher to Christians. It's a wonderful twist in the plot. But... As we're reading this, we, we would hope the next line would read, and all of his friends um, he used to hang out with, well, then they started to become Christians too. But that's not what it says. Maybe some of you have recently become Christians, or you have friends who have recently become Christians, and you're talking with them, and you're, you're counseling with them, and, and you're hoping for the same thing, that many of their friends will then now become Christians too. But it doesn't always happen. It didn't for Paul. So he has to flee from the city in the basket. I I thought following God was supposed to make your life better, right? What's up with this? Then verse 26, it says, he goes to Jerusalem and he's, quote, attempted to join the disciples. Now, it's not as clear in the English, but the Greek implies this repeated action. He just keeps trying and trying to join the disciples. It's like he's back at the cafeteria, and he wants to just sit at the table, and he brings his tray over, and every time he, like two people scoot together, then he comes over here and they scoot together, and he just wants a seat at the table of Christian fellowship. And nobody will make room, understandably. Some of you know how that feels. Just trying to join a church. Why is this so hard? It's because life is hard. When they do finally let him in, he starts preaching. What happens then? So this is the second time he starts preaching. He's, he does get let in when he starts preaching. What happens? Verse 29. You can, I won't, it's not on the screen, but you can look at it. He's preaching to this group that are called the Hellenists. They were, so Hellenists is just a term for those who are not Greek, but adopted Greek culture, or at least Greek speak, the Greek language. So these are Jewish people who had adopted, or or, um, Gentile people who had adopted the Jewish culture, but were Greek speaking. So anyway, all that, they want to kill him then. (laughs) So Paul, he's not lowered, or he was essentially lowered out of the basket, into the proverbial, like, frying, out of the frying pan, into the fryer. What happens after that? Well, there's no basket, but Paul had made it to Jerusalem, right? The epicenter of the gospel. And now he's got to be sent away. Again, not in a basket, but he's sent away. And we don't hear from him for eight years after this passage in the flow of the book of Acts. He doesn't show up again until chapter 11, verse 25. When good old Barnabas has to make this trek to the city called Tarshish to go find him. Like, what, what happened to Paul? We don't even know. Can this passage be more discouraging? How, how would you summarize this passage? If I was 
just asking you, we just read it so far. It's like, how would you, how would you summarize what's happened so far? If we were to flick on the Christian news channel or, or get the social media feed of, of, of some news network in about 36, 37 AD, what, what, what would it say? It might say something like, well, a really great thing happened. Paul was converted, but then nothing seemed to go their way. There was this deluge of discouragement. Someone from my former church, I saw shared a picture on Facebook recently, and it, it was this picture of a hornet's nest. It was this like circular triangle thing, and there's hornets flying around. And the caption said, if 2020 was a pinata. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe. If you watch the news and you look around the trials people are experiencing, it does feel like people are whacking a pinata with a stick in your living room. Except that's not the full story. There's more to the story. There's more to this passage. We just have to look closer. Look with me again at verse 20. This one will be on the screen. Verse 20 says this. And immediately he, Paul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Now, that's, that's special, but, but it's, it's more special than we realize, even in the way that Luke has crafted the telling of this story. See, normally in life, we'll, we'll talk about a child's first words. And, and as soon as my kids are born, it's like, they're four days old, I'm like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Because like, I know every single one of them said, Mommy first, which it's not wrong. But I couldn't get any of them to say daddy first. And, and so that, that's actually pretty typical. I don't know if it's dads who are just twisting the science to make us feel better. But I think some say like mommy's easier to say as a first. I don't know. Uh, some other kids, their first words are mine. <laughs> and no, we don't normally write that in the baby book. But that's, that's often true. We make a big deal of first words. We also make a big deal of last words. You can do research, even if it's just internet research and just last words you Google. You're going to get obscure people who said something profound. And you're going to get celebrities who said something bizarre. But we have this fascination with first and last words. But when a person says their last words, they don't speak again. That's their last words. Unless they're born again. And what we have here is this strange and beautiful reversal or continuation or anomaly, whatever we want to call it. Because if you go back into last week's passages, David was preaching in verse 5. You hear Paul, his last words as a non-Christian, verse 5. He's on this road to Damascus, blinding bright light, knocks to the ground, and he says, Who are you, Lord? Last word. First words in this passage as a Christian. Jesus is the Son of God. That's no small change. Last words, then first words. And they're very different. And that's because the old Paul has died. The new one is reborn. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the man who is the Son of God, who is God himself. And Jesus is alive. Notice the specific tense in the verb that's used. Paul claims not that Jesus was the Son of God, but that he is the Son of God. And he still is. And there's more encouragement. 
I pointed out verse 23, and we said before that it's discouraging that when you become a Christian, all your friends don't immediately become Christians too. That can be discouraging, but I'll point out there's an encouragement to this as well. It doesn't mean that if when you first become a Christian or perhaps you're discipling someone else who, or or you're doing evangelism and they become a Christian and then all their friends don't immediately become Christians too. There's an encouragement here that you're not necessarily doing things wrong. There's this sentiment that can float around Christianity and among Christians that if we were just more like Jesus, if we just loved the way he did, then everyone would love us too. And it's not true. It didn't happen to him. And Jesus himself said that no servant is above a master. Quote, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's not an excuse for being a jerk. That's a different sermon. But it does say that even if we were exactly like Jesus, they wouldn't love us too, at least everyone. So there's an encouragement veiled even there. And then there's the encouragement of Barnabas. What a guy. What a risk taker. What a friend. Who loves, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? I hope so. Are you a friend like Barnabas? When everyone else dismisses Paul, Barnabas vouches for him. He says, I've seen what he gets done. How he met the Lord and how he's preached about Jesus. How he's changed. I wish, I wish in our schedule we could just pause and do a topical sermon on Barnabas. There's so much material on Barnabas in the book of Acts. And we're going to come to him more. And so there'll be more we can say later. But I would just say, church, and I know just looking at who's here. For those of you who are seasoned Christians, are there, can you be Barnabases for someone else in your life? Maybe there's younger Christians you can befriend. Maybe for some of you, you've come into money. In different ways, earned it or inherited it. And and you know a seminary student, you can just go to and say, Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Seminary student, how about you just tell the school to send me next month's tuition? Like how much of encouragement would that be? Men's and women's Bible studies, perhaps the younger Christians could lead. Or maybe there's someone who's done something lousy. Perhaps even here in our church. And yet now they're repenting and they're seeking forgiveness. And maybe you're not the, maybe the the kind of the thing was done against you. So you're not necessarily the right person to go to. But maybe if that wasn't you, you could be the Barnabas who goes and says, okay, I'll, I'll sit with you. I'll encourage you. I'll invite you into a Bible study. There's more that could be said. But I want to go back to the question I asked above. If you were to summarize this passage, how would you do it? Well, you might say something like, well, a really great thing happened. Paul was converted, and then nothing seemed to go their way. A deluge of discouragement. But look how Luke summarizes this passage. Look with me at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Does that sound like peace? Does that sound like being built up? And then walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Notice the phrase, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. The last five, six weeks, we've made a little bit of a deal about that word, that region, Samaria. 
Why does that matter here? Samaria has a church. Think about that. Despised Samaria. Random people heard the gospel. And so far, only random people in Samaria have heard about the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. And thus far, only random people have heard about the life-changing, life-transforming power of the risen Lord Jesus. It's only random people. But now that cluster of random people is called the church. fragile group of despised believers keeps, Paul says, or Luke says, multiplying. And indeed, they're walking, says, in the fear of the Lord. means they're walking in obedience. There was a holiness about them. They're multiplying. And they're walking in holiness. Some pastors, they only tend to talk about multiplication, numerical growth. And other pastors tend to talk about a depth of faith, a maturity, a walking in obedience, a fear of the Lord. This passage talks about them both. And behold, the work of God is building up His church and they're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And all of that happens in the midst of affliction and adversity. It was true then and it's true now. Our church for a year has been short-staffed. And then a global pandemic hit. <laughs> I'm glad it's funny to you. It's, it's been funny to me at times. It's been not funny at all at other times. <laughs> I know you're, it's like a, the nervous laugh. Oh, that's how it's been. We shut down worship services for 13 weeks. Some of us have been furloughed from our jobs. Others of us lost them completely. Healthcare workers straight out of college. We're told to prepare for ERs that we're going to be full of dying people. All of that's true. But I will tell you as a pastor, and you don't, you don't see this always. Like I, I have a vantage point, and some of these guys on the front row have a vantage point, and some of you others have this too, but, but you don't always see all that I get to see. And I want to tell you some of the things that I get to see. The generosity of our church has never been higher. I can't tell you how many people have pulled me aside and said, how can I help? Here's my hands. Here's my checkbook. Just point me in the right direction. We've been short-staffed, but God's brought us... David's now the savior of all of our problems. (laughs) The Lord brought us David. But he did. You're going to help us get involved connection-wise and can preach so well. If you haven't ducked your head down in the basement, if you feel comfortable going down there, just duck your head in the basement as you leave. We've been remodeling over the last six weeks the basement. It's almost done two, three weeks away. It's going to be a space for immigrant gatherings and refugee gatherings. Not only that, Sunday schools. And not only that, it's going to be a gift to the community. You don't see this, but during the week, 30 people come in here for English as second language classes three days a week. Now, they're suspended, not because of the renovations, because of the coronavirus slated to begin in October. That building's a gift to this community. And I'll mention the extraordinary unity that's been exhibited by our church as we've relaunched. 
I know not everyone is happy with every detail that we've planned for the reopening of services. I was in charge of making a lot of the decisions, and I'm not happy with all the details. But what we have seen is people sacrifice their personal preferences for the benefit of the whole church. There's also been a joy. I thought you just particularly as one service ends and people gather and talk and chat, people linger and laugh. And among some of those who have had really hard things happen, I've seen a deepening of their faith. Think of the couples who I officiated their weddings, all kind of turned upside down because of the coronavirus, and now we're planning to do their second wedding. I don't know, like the real one, but it's not the real one. The real one was when you got married and began living together. Like, this is the real one too, but it's not the same. Like, we're planning their second weddings with all the people they're going to invite later this summer. But even as they went through that difficult thing, I saw the way... The maturity in Christ blossomed. I think more highly of them now than before. One of the community group Bible studies leaders pulled me aside the other day and said his, his group is thriving spiritually. But I want to be clear. I want to be real clear as we close. What I see in this passage and what I want you to see in this passage is not about Christians putting a positive spin on a lousy situation. That's not what I want you to see. This is not about faking optimism until we feel like our reality is better than it really is. This is not about seeing a glass that is clearly less than half full as though it were more than half full. No. This passage is about seeing the risen Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, seated on the throne of the universe. I'm preaching about us being Christians and having the eyes of faith to see Jesus working even when it's really hard. If you watch 15 hours of news a week, a commodity, a commodity, I'm using that word intentionally, a commodity, it's a business. And you know that in that commodity, the ratings are already always going to be better when they report bad news better than good news. And we know that. And if that deluge of discouragement has killed your ability to have any ounce of Christian joy, then take a break. Just take a break. (laughs) And use a few minutes a day to pray. Say, Lord, give me the eyes to see what you might be doing that's more than I can see on TV and social media. The trials in the Christian life And the trials in a local church and in the church purify the Christian and the church into a radiant, beautiful bride. And if we don't see her today, we might see her tomorrow. And if we don't see her tomorrow, we will see her someday. Because Jesus was not the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Just as Paul said. Would you join me in prayer? As we close and invite the worship team to come back up. Heavenly Father, what I hope I'm preaching about here is not something we just 
manufacture through tone of voice and inflection. Through stories. But what I hope you give us is something supernatural. The walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the midst of affliction is supernatural. But I feel like I can preach this way and I can pray this way because you are a supernatural God. And so come, work among us and lift our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.